Hey everybody, welcome back to the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. Uh, I am your host for the day, Nick Cummings, and I'm joined today, as usual, by Aaron Thayer. Hello everybody, I have a cold, so I apologize in advance. Aaron is uh, quite a trooper today, uh, as you may have guessed. And also joining me today is Spencer Tordoff. I have a whiskey hangover, but these assholes won't give me any sympathy for it. It's usual. (laughs) We need you to mix our podcast, man. And stop mixing Uh, drinks. No breaks for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boom. So, uh, other than this witty repartee that you guys always come here for, we've actually got some uh, news stories to talk about. Should be kind of a lightweight show for you. Just uh, wanted to cover a few things we've uh, seen the headlines while we've been, we've been individually recovering from our uh, encounters with PAX, which uh, I think laid all of us pretty much flat for about a week. So, yeah, before um, I keep prattling on, let's uh, take a look at what's going on. So, uh, the first topic we want to talk about was uh, Sony's recent announcement about the PS Vita TV. So who wants to give me a quick summary of what's up with this thing? If I understand correctly, it lets you play your PS Vita on your TV. <laughs> and that's about it. You might be correct in saying that, but that's not all. The PS Vita TV also offers remote access to the PS4, meaning if you plug it into your other television, you can stream PS4 access to that one as well. If I was a PR hype man, this would be where you all say, wow. Gee, golly. I don't know that that's a wow. Mo- I mean, it, it's kind of nice, though. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Tyler Tyler's going to be rolling his eyes during this part because I'm sure he's frothing. Um, Tyler is our resident Vita fanboy, even though Nick has one, too. I love my Vita. But yeah, Tyler's the guy who would, would go to hell and back with that thing. Yeah. I think in fairness, Tyler would be rolling his eyes whenever we said anything ever on this podcast, but yes. that is neither here nor there. Yeah, it's not quite relevant, but I think this is an interesting device because, I mean, did any of us see this coming? No. I definitely did Not off the cuff. So tell me then, as somebody who doesn't own a Vita and is not likely to get a PlayStation 4, um, at least in the near future, I'm I'm probably going to get the Xbox One, but that's... You guys can toss rotten fruit at me because I'm on a stage, I guess, apparently later. Um, sell me on this. So should I, Should I? if I get a PlayStation 4, should I just buy this so then I don't have to buy a Vita? I can just put Vita games inside this PS Vita TV because it has a little card slot for them. And then I can stream PlayStation 4. Like, what's the incentive to somebody who doesn't already have a Vita? All right, apparently I completely misunderstood what this device was. So, uh, Nick, why don't you field this? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, from the initial reveal, I wasn't sure if this thing just like streamed video from your Vita as you played or if it was actually a micro console that plays Vita games. And it sounds like from the announcement that it's actually the latter. Uh, it's a $99, uh, at least equivalent in Japanese yen, or uh, 150 the bundle with a controller, uh, DualShock 3, like a PlayStation 3 controller. That plays Vita games on your TV. Also streams some video like Hulu and Netflix, I think, were mentioned. But also um, the third component is that it will um, stream the PS4. So the closest comparison I've seen is to something like Apple TV. Would that be a correct assumption? I think it's a good comparison, speaking of somebody who has an Apple TV. Um, So the real appeal of buying something like that is that you already have an iPhone or an iPad or a Mac of some kind. And you have a television, and you want to be able to display content from that device on your TV. Uh, so Apple TV, for those who aren't familiar, is a little $100 set-top box 
with an HDMI cable and you use it to, um, you can play Netflix on it. It has a few apps that just added HBO Go and some other video streaming things like Disney stuff recently. You can, uh, you can stream stuff directly on it like that. You can watch anything you've bought on iTunes in terms of like music, TV shows, movies. It all links up with your Apple account. Or if you have a, a Mac device, like I mentioned, or an iPhone or iPad, you can uh, mirror the display on that. So you basically have a, effectively a second monitor. Or you can use it to quickly just like bring something up in a crowded room. So if you have friends hanging out on a couch and you're bored, it's a good way to watch stupid YouTube videos together or to just show them something on your computer. Um, kind of more of a curiosity at this point than an actual like system seller, so to speak. So I think what makes this different, though, is that the Apple TV can't play like iOS games and you can't use it as like a display for those games necessarily, although you can share your display. There's some interface lag. What's different here is that this Vita TV will actually have a processor in it that can play those Vita games and can stream from a console. Uh, so if you don't have a Vita, it actually might be a good way to, if you like playing games on your TV, get into that ecosystem and start buying those games digitally so that if you do get a Vita at some point, those games are immediately accessible to you on your uh, handheld as well. The only big question to me at this point is the price makes sense. The capabilities seem good. Why can't the PS4 do this as well? So by having two price points, they're kind of assuming that this could be a standalone device if they make a version that has a controller with it, because if you're the average PlayStation power user, you'll already have probably four DualShocks floating around, and it doesn't require the PlayStation 4 DualShock 4, so could you just be a complete newbie to PlayStation, pick this up, use it for um, Netflix and Hulu and everything, and play Vita games on the side? Is that maybe who they're targeting, the the, the casual users or the unfamiliar? I, I think that's as reasonable an approach as any. You're wondering if the, the PS4 could also do this, Nick. And, well, I mean, I don't know what type of processors in the Vita, so I can't speak as to compatibility with the PS4, which is going to be x86-based. But, I don't know, it seems like a simpler device for you know people to test the waters with for simpler times right right a sub 100 dollars streaming device that also has the option of playing some games i think it's i think it's a good position it seems to me like if it pans out it's sony's unfair competitive advantage this holiday season like let's say you can't afford a three or four hundred dollar console for your family and you either already have a wii u or don't want it because you've heard it's garbage which you know form your own opinion about it i'll just keep playing pikmin 3 but I think that this is a really unique offering because Sony's never entered a market with something this inexpensive. Like the PSP even launched, I think, around 250 uh, or at least 200 when it first came out. So I think that the fact that there are two bundles, one with a controller and one without, means that they're really testing the waters with this. Also, given the fact that they've only announced it for Japan so far, I would be a little surprised that they didn't try to do to launch it this holiday here as well because they could stand to make a killing potentially if they market this as a cheaper console that does all this cool stuff. I'm wondering if they're trying to, the way they're reversing release dates, so this Vita TV is coming out, um, it sounds like towards the end of this year in Japan, nothing announced for the US, whereas the US is getting the PlayStation 4 on November 15th, but it won't be out until February in Japan next year. So do you think, at least I'm thinking, Sony's trying to build up maybe some of their user base for Vita, a, a handheld that hasn't exactly been performing well by all accounts in terms of sales compared to something like the 3DS. It's not, you know, tanking, but it's certainly not as profitable 
for them, I imagine. But maybe this Vita TV is the the entry point so then they can build an install base. And then once the PlayStation 4 is out in Japan in February, hopefully they'll have a bunch of early adopters of this Vita TV who will then just go straight to the PlayStation 4 and have kind of a loyalty built in. Yeah, I think I think you may be onto something here. And this is where I really wish we can get our uh, Japanese folks on here with I think Doug and Tyler have some good insight to share about what the Japanese gaming market looks like right now. But my understanding from a really terrible outsider's perspective is just that uh, consoles are not doing well there and have not been doing well for a long time. Handheld's been where it's at. And um, even sales there haven't been super awesome for the Vita or the 3DS. Like the PSP, I think, is up until recently been going really strong for a very long time. So I think this... I think this. my guess is that the Vita TV is going to mean very different things for different markets. Strategically in Japan, it makes more sense to use this as a way to kind of get people back in the living room and to encourage them to have a Vita so they play on the go and then come back and play at home. For the U.S., it might be another way to kind of incentivize people who are already getting a PS4 or want a new Sony console in general to consider getting a Vita as well. I absolutely agree. I mean, when you consider where consoles have been kind of a big breakout device in the in the US market. I mean certainly there's the gaming aspect that was definitely big at the start of this generation. But then both Sony and Microsoft positioned their devices uh the 360 and PS3 respectively as streaming platforms. Talking about here's all the services you can stream. I mean even the Wii has has Netflix on it. And that's a big emergent thing in the US. I mean cable is losing subscribers day to day. Streaming is absolutely it. And well, the Roku, which we had not mentioned before, is a dedicated uh, streaming box. A lot of people immediately think of the consoles. This device is at a low enough price point, but it's got the Sony name on there. It's got the association with the PlayStation. I think that's going to be a big winner in the North American market. And then, as you said, it's, it's a gateway in Japan. So I, I think it's a great move for them. Yeah, I think, uh, if nothing else, it's got all of our interests peaked to some degree. Uh, it's an unexpected move, I think, from my point of view, and I'm excited to see how it's received in Japan when it launches and to see if it comes out here this year. Speaking of less surefire bets and things that <laughs> totally came out of nowhere as well, oh, yeah. let's talk about this Sony headset, uh, the VR headset that they just announced that's... Uh, called the HMZ-T3W Personal 3D Viewer. <laughs> really rolls off the tongue. Oculus was already taken, so... Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't... Well, what about Oculus? Oh, that's great. Oh, some guys trademarked it. <laughs> yeah, so biggest biggest standout thing from this, and I think that would be fair to say for anybody who reads about this VR headset Sony's making, which they've done this before in the past. They've, they've experimented with consumer VR is that it costs $2,000. So who who the hell is this thing for? Well, that's a really good question. Because if you've been following the Oculus Rift, which is a uh, gaming-specific 3D headset for your computer that's in development, dev kits are out right now, those development kits with the uh, kind of beta hardware uh, cost $300. They weren't too expensive. I think they're hoping to sell the... Uh, consumer version for about that price, maybe a little bit more. So this is well over like five or six times that cost, which is kind of crazy. So that makes me wonder, like, are they trying to target a gaming market in any to any degree with this? Or is this just a curiosity, the kind of thing that Sony has historically made from time to time? Like, 
I don't know, think back on the original mini disc player, for example. I had one of those. That was a terrible <laughs> investment. The other thing to, I think, to consider on this is that the Oculus is, if I'm not mistaken, it's, what, HDMI and USB? You can also use DVI with it. But it's it's standard connectors, very industry standard. The PS4 has all of those connectors. So, I don't know, are they, are they trying to make a direct competitor here? Are they trying to say only this will work with, uh, with Sony? Because that seems pretty likely. In either event, the price point's going to scare people away uh, who were already interested in VR. And for anyone who wasn't, it's, I don't think it's going to win them over. Yeah, I don't think this is marketed at PlayStation consumers. The price is too prohibitive. That's the cost of a PS4 and a brand new like 55-inch high-quality television. So I don't think that's the goal. But I do think it's worth thinking about Sony's last foray in 3D. With um, They made a big push, I think, two years ago to E3, if you guys remember, with um, 3D in every game, 3D on Uncharted, 3D in Killzone. And the PlayStation 3 branded 3D TV they were selling at one point for like $500 the 32 inch TV. I take it that wasn't a big hit given that we never heard anything more about that. And Sony hasn't tried to brand any more TVs that I'm aware of with PlayStation stuff, but it seems kind of counterintuitive that they're trying to make this a hub in your, like a living room hub, the PS4. You don't want to shoehorn that all into a, a headset for the mass market. Maybe for like the, the niche consumer, but it's, you're talking less than a fraction of a percent. Yeah. The article we're sourcing from where we saw this, uh, on MTV Multiplayer, Charles Webb, the author, is speculating, and I, I maybe agree to an extent that this niche item at $2,000 and only listed in the UK for right now, there's no um, information about a US market release. Could this be a testing ground for something related to the PlayStation 4? I think, sure, why not? But again, the Oculus is benefiting from having a development kit that's been out for months that is a low-cost barrier of entry. For um, for instance, Spencer and I spoke with a Oculus Rift developer, uh, Mike Tipple, which he'll have some, some interview with him posted to the site uh, probably after this comes out. But he is a one-man team, and he was able to afford getting into this. It's, it's more built as a platform compared to this to me, toy that Sony's making, which costs a lot. It, it has OLED and is used for PC 2 and PlayStation 3, maybe the PlayStation 4, but it's so specific and it's not built as an ecosystem, whereas the Oculus has been designed from day one, from Kickstarter to uh, onward, as being, hey, we'll help you guys get involved in the development of this thing so you can make games with it. This is not specific at all so why are they even making it because it seems like it will just be a failure to start out with unless it's some r&d thing yeah yeah i absolutely agree with um with your assessment there aaron it just seems it it doesn't seem to have a place i guess is is what i end up thinking with relatively low cost vr about to hit the market you got to be matching that price point and level of developer support or <laughs> or you're just fucking around so, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely keep a curious eye on this, but it's not the type of curious eye that's going to lead to me buying anything. I think what's most interesting is that this news broke around the time of the, probably coincidentally, they're probably separate parts of Sony, but within about a day of this, um, 
the PS uh, Vita TV announcement. So two very different products, but two very like kind of interrelated things in terms of Sony's uh, entertainment strategy. And at the in the meantime, we haven't really seen anything like this from Microsoft. Like there was a long rumored uh, Xbox handheld that I guess was effectively supplanted by Windows Mobile on uh, those wildly successful slates that they released and kept calling slates despite all good sense. Despite the entire industry moving on from that name. Yeah, and they wisely moved to Smart Glass for which is you know platform agnostic for all that kind of stuff. But Microsoft's been very conservative uh, with all their hardware lately, which could be reflective of a number of things. We don't need to speculate right now, but they have one flagship piece of hardware coming out this year, the Xbox One. We'll see how it fares in the markets. Um, it's pretty clear that um, just from conversations and informal polls I've seen taken that. It's got a bit of an uphill battle in hardcore gamer sentiment right now, at least in terms of what I would call hardcore. The Call of Duty audiences may not care, and that's going to dictate ultimately where success goes. But uh, interesting that Sony's branching out so hard right now on the uh, kind of the precipice of this new console launch uh, with some new and interesting hardware. Just to be fair before we move on, being the Xbox apologist I seem to be in this uh, in this group, Um they did demo the Illuma Room idea, the, the Illuma Room being um, an idea of using projectors to extend the screen of the TV out into your t- entire living room in a game. So the colors, the geometry, everything kind of paints the entire wall as if it's a um, hologram, which is a great E3 presentation, I believe, last year and this year. I, c- I can't recall, but um, there was a recent article talking about how they aren't going to move forward that because it would cost thousands of dollars for a practical living room setup. It's a great um, research idea, but no average consumer is going to do that. So, you know, they have experimented with things. It's just that we don't hear the the light of day. I think maybe if I'm going to lampoon Sony a little bit, just in a few seconds is you mentioned mini disc player, Betamax, all these things, Sony being primarily for its history, a hardware creator, they can kind of take the risks with things like doing a $2,000 VR headset because that's where they started out. And it seems like it's just common for them to toss these inventions out and then iterate or shut them down. Microsoft has to be more uh, conservative because they're still a software company, even if they are doing things like the Surface now. All right, so leaving aside questionable hardware decisions, we have now questionable uh, video game character creation decisions in a story that broke uh, this weekend. Hideo Kojima, the fabled creator of Metal Gear Solid, he's known for his eccentricity, but there is a character uh, called Quiet, a female sniper set to play a part in Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain, and what Kojima was quoted on this last week was about encouraging his uh, art director, his design director, to make costumes for these characters more erotic, as he was quoted as saying, to encourage cosplay. You know, that's the whole argument in and of itself, but when you look at this character um, in the days of follow-up where he's kind of backpedaling a little bit, trying to re-clarify and say erotic maybe isn't what I meant, the, the point of what I'm looking at, and I'm curious what you guys think, is 
regardless of if you're encouraging a marketing aspect of your game, like uh, fan cosplay, which is a good idea because it, it lengthens the longevity of your brand. You look at this character that he's talking about, and she's wearing a bikini that's tied in the front in a knot and ripped stocking kind of like fishnets and boots and then a bandolier military belt for her ammo. Like that's it. I mean, it, there's no support even in this bikini. So that would be very awkward on the battlefield, I imagine. And then, oh yeah, she has panties on like that. That's her costume as a warrior. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, it's one of those outfits that I, I I can pretty confidently say is worse than naked. (laughs) Not fit for combat. Uh, well, I mean, so few female outfits are, which is a completely uh, separate problem. But like, have you guys seen those videos on YouTube of the the girls in bikinis who fire real weapons? Is this a thing that they exist? No. How would I? I don't know how I would come across that. But uh, maybe you guys don't have weird redneck friends that you still sometimes <laughs> talk with. But I do, but they've never posted those. <laughs> It's, it reminds me of that, though. These are th- these are videos. I don't know the name. I don't really recall, but there are these. It doesn't surprise me that they exist. Yeah, no, they're hot chicks firing weapons like AK-47s and, and shit like that. So that's what this character, Quiet, looks like. And I thought stupidly, but I thought we were past that, at least from the sense of making a really terrible PR mistake like this, that even if you can defend it because it's Kojima... And he's Japanese in the sense that, you know, a little bit more loose and fun with character creation, as we know from Japanese games. Doesn't this seem like a colossal fuck up? I mean, there is one thing in the article that we're sourcing. This one's from Eurogamer that mentions that he he wanted Quiet made more erotic, which they later said maybe sexy was a better translation than erotic, but uh, wanted to be made more erotic so fans want to do cosplay and also to get its figurine to sell well. And that last part makes me think that maybe this is a Japan-specific thing. Like, Japan and the otaku, but mostly specific to that market. Again, I really would love to get some Japanese input here. Just ask anyone on NeoGAF and that's close enough. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like, you know, this is traditional otaku design in the sense that, like, if they're trying to sell the figure, who would buy that? Those are, like, really hardcore fans of games, right? Who have never seen a real vagina. <laughs> that's that's neither here nor there. Like, I, I suppose it's a little unfair, but I wanted to say it anyway. Please go on. You know, the, I'm sure the ESA has a statistic on that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get into the ESA. Um <laughs> Regardless of whatever the hell Spencer was saying, let me just look. The boilerplate, boilerplate argument here is that Kojima can make whatever games he wants. Konami can make whatever games they want to publish. People can buy whatever they want. It just seems like this is kind of a questionable decision given the conversations that have been so prominent in the American games world lately. Granted, Kojima, I think, tweets primarily in Japanese and then has his tweets translated. So, um, there could be some degree of miscommunication about what the intended audience is on that tweet, but either way, like there's there's no question that this is a pretty ridiculous sexist depiction of a woman. And <laughs> like straight up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like we don't know maybe her character is really in love with wearing a bikini and a bandolier and there's a good reason for that, but given his track record with like melodrama on the 
fictitious battlefield. I highly doubt it. I, I guess in his defense, he was also in the aftermath talking about how he creates the setting, how these characters spent their life, what their names are, their style, their favorite phrase, fashion, action, things that make the character stand out, as he said. So, you know, I, I guess if I want to play devil's advocate, which I have a hard time doing in this case, but maybe there is a justification for this character. Like this is what this character is. And we can't also just, it's again, going to sound really stupid to say this, but we can't just say that video game character or not, a woman can't wear revealing clothes if she wants to, because that's her choice, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we don't want to like send the message. That's not okay. It's it's just that for a guy developing this, it especially a Japanese guy, I'm sorry, it does seem very insensitive and just ridiculous. Well, I think no matter what, it's important to keep in mind this is a character and not like a depiction of a real person. And every character in Metal Gear Solid games have always they've always been larger than life. And what you said earlier about like not um, saying whether or not it's appropriate for a video game character, a female video game character, to wear revealing clothing. It's kind of a, a comp- it's a very complicated issue, in the sense that like, is is it done f- to justify the character or is it done to provide eye candy to the um, intended audience? Like, um, like I, I remember getting into a huge, a number of conversations about this with Bayonetta about whether or not like is this objectification or is this some strange like character empowerment situation? So I, that's something we really I think can't judge in full until the game is out. I, I would agree with that. However, at the same time, uh, there was a sort of bombasticness to Bayonetta that I think took it into the territory of being character empowerment in its weird, semi-erotic sort of way. With this, and you know, I'm going to play reverse devil's advocate here, but a character dressed like this, named Quiet, who apparently doesn't speak, that's just extremely problematic. It's problematic for a variety of reasons. And, like, I I understand that there's culture in play here. I understand that, you know, Kojima can make whatever games he wants. This is not helping our cause, guys. And I, I mean that for the, to literally every gamer out there. I'm using guys in the gender neutral. This is not what helps us dismiss the case that we're all sexist pigs. It really isn't. It's just so absurd. I, I agree with that. Like, it's it's outlandish. It's It raises a lot of questions. And it's not outlandish in a defensible way. It's just outlandish. Well, I agree with that. Like, in the way that it was messaged and then responded to doesn't really restore any confidence on my part. But at the same time, like, exploitation is a topic that can be and should be discussed in media, whether that's through depictions of exploitative characters or conversations about them whatever like there's absolutely an important place for that the question is is kojima designed this character to try to basically excite enough otaku into buying figurines and playing the game special edition and sending them lots of money for it or is this character actually going to have a legitimate reason for what they're doing and right now kojima is saying that there is a reason for this character to, to exist the way that she does and I, I can agree that like there, this is a problematic situation for Konami and for Kojima, but I think I, I, I will reserve judgment on the character until I see the how she's actually depicted in the game. Yeah, Kojima really messed it up for us white male gamers. <laughs> made us look bad. That, well, thanks for calling me out on that. I, I'll just say maybe her <laughs> tactic is to um, 
not so much sniping as it is to distract people with their breasts and then shoot them at close range with their sniper rifle. But I suppose that it's worth holding back judgment until the actual game comes out. I just hope there aren't any trophies involved with her. Oh, in God, I really hope anyway. not. Please, no. We'll see. So let's move on to our final topic. Grand Theft Auto V has a price tag attached to its development and uh, marketing of $266 million American. That'll buy you a lot of copies of Grand Theft Auto IV. So, so at what point do these numbers stop having any meaning? Because this article also lists the part, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End was $300 million, which I think was the most expensive entertainment product released. And the most expensive game up to this point had been uh, EA's colossal clusterfuck of Star Wars The Old Republic, which rang in at $200 million. Yeah, that did not pan out great for them. So sad. <laughs> it is sad, especially for anyone in the Austin area who was working there. Ooh. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, what is it? What does it matter in the end? And this is alleged anyway. That's not confirmed. There's the original articles from the Scotsman, which is in Scotland, where the main studio for Rockstar is. But you know, it doesn't say if that's including the marketing budget. That's true. It doesn't specify. It is a bit vague. At the same time, this number is out, and people are talking about it. And it kind of leads us to this whole sub-discussion we've been having, which is, does AAA really even matter anymore? And it does, to some extent. (laughs) Well, that was fast. (laughs) But if they want to spur discussion by, oh, look how much money was spent on this game, then it's losing relevance pretty fast. Well, I think that my understanding is that it probably wasn't Rockstar's intention to talk about, look how much money we spent on this thing. You should totally buy it because it's so expensive. I guess I gather that was more from the reporter's point of view. And again, uh, we don't know... Uh, what evidence actually backs up that number. But at the same time, it doesn't sound implausible for a Rockstar flagship game to cost that much. I'm sure GTA 4 costs maybe, you know, not this much, but like it's not outlandish to think of this being a nine-figure game as well. I mean, that's been a marker for a lot of titles in the past of, hey, this game cost a lot. Didn't Final Fantasy 7 have the amount of money it took to develop on the back of the jewel case originally like 11 million dollars i think so it was like 20 million dollars invested in the cg epic and it was like this game looks like a bunch of blocks and so that's it that used to be a uh bragging thing and i think you're right i I doubt rockstar went out there and just collectively you know bragged about it no it's not their style they they're big on their image and their image would be compromised by saying look at how much fucking money we spent that take two gave us right so do we think that that price tag whatever that entails if it's that much or not do we think it makes it a better game in the end i think it doesn't matter and i think that as long as you know the studio itself isn't really talking about it then it should continue to not matter do we care no probably all that money was spent on the audio tracks they put in there (laughs) I've I've spent the last three hours this weekend playing Gunpoint, which is developed for like negative forty dollars. Like and that game's awesome. Budget doesn't dictate relevance of a game to anybody, and I, th- I don't think anyone's disagreeing with that. But I guess my what I'm wondering about this is at what point do we see this sort of like capping out? When do when do developers see such massive diminishing returns on these huge budgets that they start to back off, or is that the cap far out from here? Like. I assume they're going to monetize the game with some sort of multiplayer DLC or season pass type thing, possibly some standalone expansions like they did with uh, episodes from Liberty City. 
So let's say that on, they're hoping to get the average GTA player to spend like, let's say, 80 to $90 on this game in the long run. Maybe they'll recoup their money after 5 million sales, maybe 10, maybe 12. But when does the market kind of cap out on this sort of thing? Like, will there ever be a $500 million game that is profitable? It depends. Think about the next gen, if that's our frame of reference. You know, the games are staying a $60 price point, And the hardware um, leap isn't as great as it was from... PlayStation 2 and Xbox version 1 to 360 and PS3. So maybe the cost of development, which I, I'm really talking out of my ass here, maybe the cost of development isn't going to go up as much as it has in the past, hopefully, for studios. So then they just need a big install base, right? I mean, that, that could be the only reason that Grand Theft Auto V didn't wait to come out on the new consoles, is they need, if they're costing 266 million of take two's money to make this game they had to have just put it on the two consoles that have that many people millions of installed consoles to be able to make that money back i don't know where the ceiling is for this but it can't be much higher i mean games are a big market bigger than movies bigger than whatever else at the same time i don't know i i just can't imagine it getting so much bigger that you could realistically invest half a million dollars and expect to make your, or no, not half a million, half a billion dollars and expect to make way more than that type of numbers. And on top of that, you know, there are some games with a built-in market, but how much of a built-in market, you know, if a, if a bad review gets around, then that's going to cut it substantially. I'm sure you could invest, you know, 300 million in a new call of duty game. And you'd make it back, but the moment it starts being subpar, then, and this is, I really think, a whole separate topic, but, you know, as soon as the entries start being subpar, then the entire community is just going to turn on you. Yeah, you can see that in Madden over the years, too. Exactly. And so you're just not going to be making that money back. So I think it has to cap out somewhere. Where, I don't know. And if it becomes a bragging rights thing, then we'll see it go way higher, but it's not going to last as far as actually reaching gamers. So I have a quick question for Aaron on this point. Uh, historically, I can only think of one collapse in the games industry, and that was around the time that the Atari started to tank. E.T. had come out. They'd paid an exorbitant licensing fee to make an E.T. game. That was then just shoveled out. It was total garbage. There was a the huge landfill in New Mexico You know that we all heard about. So there have been similar collapses in cinema, and I'm not trying to tie video games to movies here necessarily, but like... Looking back at like the cost of Lawrence of Arabia and then like the effect that had on Hollywood for a while and uh, through the 60s and 70s, um, do you uh, do you recall any specific instances of like how this has played out in other industries, like for example in, in movies and uh, any lessons we could possibly glean from that? <clears throat> Speaking generally, it's kind of happened in every industry. Um, even if you look at the auto industry, completely different product, but. I think that there's an element where research and development and your own hype machine can cause your business to invest way more than they need to in a Jesus product like the second coming of Christ, be it Grand Theft Auto, which always seems to be the case when it comes out. So, uh, but whose fault is that? I don't think the developers go in there, maybe they don't, and say, we're going to need $260 million to do this game, or is it being pushed by the, the board members? So other industries, I think it exists in every single one you could look at, from tech to um, autos, like I said, to 
I'm sure the the boating industry had an element of this. I don't know. Maybe after Waterworld came out, everybody wanted to build one of those boats, and it tanked the boating industry. But I don't know about that. Um, I'm I'm excited for Grand Theft Auto, but it's not because of the budget. And I'm just hoping that that money spent was to optimize the game because all the trailers and pre-release info make it look amazing on current gen consoles. And I don't know if that's just bullshit, but I'm hoping that that's where most of the money has been put. So my, my feeling on it is this is not endemic of, um, games and game, the game industry. There's a bunch of metaphorical dick swinging in every industry and that causes smart, people to make bad business decisions and spend way more than they need to. Um, I don't think that that's the case here, even if it costs that much, because it will make that money back. I guarantee it. Just like Call of Duty seems to sell a billion dollars in sales every single year. I just want to conclude with one brief statement, which is 2016 Daikatana 2, (laughs) $1 billion budget, and Carmack is back. Or I guess it's not Carmack, Jesus. Romero. It's, um, Romero, yeah. <laughs> Romero is back. But the big news is Carmack is back. Carmack never left. But Romero is <laughs> back. I mean, Daikatana is what drove them apart, but that's just why Daikatana 2 is going to be so fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah, they're back together. Exclusively for the uh, Sony, what's it called, headset. The, and inexplicably, <laughs> the Nintendo 3DS. Because that shit's 3D, too. There you go. Virtual board. Cool. Well, that's some good talk. I guess... Uh, I guess we'll see what GTA 5 is like next week and if that money was worth it. According to the leaked soundtrack, it probably was, but we'll see. So thanks again for joining me, guys. Uh, Good conversation as usual. Well, you're welcome. Uh, We'll be back uh, next week with another episode of this here podcast. Goodbye. Later. The Silicon Sasquatch Podcast is a production of SiliconSasquatch.com. Our moderator for this podcast was Nick Cummings. Our panelists were Spencer Tordoff and Aaron Thayer, and the podcast was produced by Spencer Tordoff. The remainder of our editorial staff is Doug Bonham and Tyler Martin. If you'd like to hear more of our work or check out our other podcast, Memory Card, the address is siliconsasquatch.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>